0: again because I had my headphones wrong. Headphones wrong. Headphones wrong. Blah 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 blah. Welcome to Curmudgeon's Corner for Saturday, May 13th, 2023. It is just after 16 UTC as I'm starting to record. I am Sam Minter, and guess what? I have no Yvonne. Uh, We were going to record Thursday night uh, U.S. time, and uh, he ended up being somewhere with a crappy internet connection. And that was dropping all the time. And he said, uh, therefore, he could not do it. So I am here. I did send out the email to everybody asking for co-hosts. I have this big list of people who've hosted before or who've expressed interest in hosting or are, or are on the curmudgeons corner, Slack, et cetera. And as I explained last time this happened, I, 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 you know, I had been religiously using, like, every time I needed this, I'd send an email and... Uh, and then I got out of it and I was just sort of like, sometimes I would ask on the Slack, sometimes I would just like grab my son or my wife or whatever. And I'm like, I need to be like more fair and systematic about this again. So I'm going to go back to the emails, uh, except I am excluding each time I send one of these the last few people who did co-host to try to get a rotation and a little bit different group of people. And last time I did this, which was back in March, I believe uh, I got no responses at all. This time I got two responses. Very, very exciting, but both responses were just people saying hi, but they can't actually record the show with me. Um, so I am going to be doing the, so the, I am going to be doing the, so, so I am going to be doing the show solo again. There you go. Um, uh, I I, I do, I will give an agenda in a couple seconds. I do want to call out the two people who did respond to me. Uh, so thanks to our longtime listener, Matt, uh, who has listened as far as we know to Every one of the 830 episodes of this show that have gone out so far, and presumably will listen to this 831st show that you're listening to right now, um, sometime. Uh, He does say that he sort of saves them up for a while and listens to several at once in chunks rather than listening every week, uh, which is an interesting way to listen to a current event show, but okay, whatever's good for Matt. Uh, but thanks to Matt for uh, replying back. And he said, yeah, he, he's, he was going to be at a baseball game when we needed to record. So that wasn't going to happen. And also thanks uh, to Chad, who I don't think listens very often, but has been on a show or two. He, um, but uh, he just responded by saying, any chance you're going to be in San Francisco this week? Cause I'm going to be there. We could say hi. And I'm like, I, not going to be in San Francisco, but thank you very much. Um, so, uh, yeah. And also, by the way, Matt mentioned that, uh, recently he's been using his curmudgeons corner mug and, uh, some of his coworkers asked about it and he talked us up a little bit. So thank you for that. Okay. Now agenda agenda for the show this week. Um, and, and look, I actually wrote out an agenda, unlike what Yvonne and I have been doing recently, where we're just making things up on the fly. Uh, I actually took the time and picked a few things. Uh, we're going to stick with three segments, two topics each, um, except it's all just going to be me talking about it. In the first segment, uh, it's been a while. Well, I did one last week, to be honest, but I've got a huge backlog of media to talk about. So I'm going to talk about one book and one TV show. In the first segment, uh, in the second segment, uh, we'll do all the Trump stuff. Uh, you know, the Carroll verdict, the town hall, the fact that lots of people seem to be underestimating Donald Trump, uh, both sides coverage, that kind of stuff. And, uh, maybe a little bit about George Santos too. Um, and then in the third minute, third minute, third minute, no, it's, it's, we're way past the third minute already. Um, no, in the third segment, a little bit about the debt limit and also, um, the end of the COVID emergency um, has been declared in the U.S. and in a lot of other countries. Even the WHO declared that. And so we'll talk about that a little bit. Anyway, that's, that is the plan. So I guess uh, we're, we're well into the first segment now. So I'll start with uh, the first thing is a book. And I'm going to take a second to get the information about the book up. Um, Okay, first up, a book. And this is one that I have been reading with my son, Alex. We have a thing going. I mean, he's 13 now, so he's well beyond uh, the age where you're usually sort of reading to your kid. But we have a thing going. And uh, so I've been reading certain books to him that are uh ones that i had uh you know remembered fondly from my childhood we started with the hobbit and the lord of the rings and the next up was the uh the hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy series um and uh we are up to life the universe and everything um from 1982 we're actually a little further than this but yeah, this is where I am in terms of giving them reviews on the show. Uh we finished this one in what was it? Um We finished this one in December. Like I I should I should have talked about this already. Uh I got things out of order and messed up a little bit. But anyway, Life the Universe and Everything um by Douglas Adams um it, from 1982. Uh, and this picks up uh, the restaurant at the end of the universe ended with them being stranded on prehistoric Earth. And in this one, the, it, it's, it's this whole adventure related to the Wicket Gate, uh, it, which is a thing with a bunch of components that opens up some sort of portal that, you know, uh, and there's this war with these robots. And this is a, a bunch of stuff. Okay. And uh, I I you know, I'll I'll give, I'll give it thumbs up for some nostalgia. It's definitely like as you go through they, they call it the increasingly misnamed trilogy because it, at this point there are actually six books in it. Um and at, at, at you know so da 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 you know trilogy six books yet whatever. It's part of the humor of the stupid thing. Um as you go through the series, I think there's a downward trend. Like it started out high, like uh the, the actual hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy is a classic. Restaurant at the end of the universe is, uh, you know, okay. Um life the universe of anything is also okay. I'll give it a thumbs up. Um but it's not as good as the previous two. The other thing that I keep thinking as I read it, I kept thinking about the fact that Douglas Adams also worked as a writer on Dr. Who. Um, and some of the elements here are very, very similar to a, a season of Dr. Who, um, where they, where they chase this thing called the key to time. Okay. Um, and I'm I'm just gonna double check, uh, but I believe no, no, it, it was it, it was not written by Douglas Adams, at least. But but it's very similar. I mean, I, I the in both cases they have like this ancient powerful artifact thing made up of a bunch of pieces that are hidden in different places, and they go on an adventure to collect the pieces and. Uh, either assemble it or make sure it doesn't get assembled or whatever. Um, and so there are a lot of similarities. And I was thinking about that and blah, 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 blah. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Um, I, I I don't know that I have a lot else to say. I, I mean, it's Douglas Adams' humor also is something that I feel like is really tuned to sort of middle teenagers, middle to late teenagers. Like, and I feel like when I originally read these at that age, like around 15, 16, um, it hit better with me than it does now. Um, there's some of it that's still pretty funny, but like, I, I just feel like, and, and maybe it's just me but i feel like that that kind of humor uh just hits it just works better when you're that age um and then it does for me now as a 50 plus year old um i mean it it's still not bad and there's some funny moments and blah 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 but um you know cuz cuz that that's the thing with the whole hitchhikers uh Set and with Douglas Adams in general, um, yes, it's sort of science fiction, but it's mainly a comedy, and um, and you know so, and and of course I am reading the books. You know that there have been movie adaptations, there have been radio adaptations, there have been TV adaptations. Uh, radio was actually first for the first Hitchhiker's Guide, but uh, anyway. And I found out while, like, you know, getting ready to review this, that there, the, the there had been five books. There's actually a sixth now uh, that I have never read. I, I think I'm not even sure I read the fifth one. Uh, we're working our way through them now. We'll get to all of them. Um, but the sixth one was actually written by somebody else after Douglas Adams' death, because apparently, um, Douglas Adams felt that the last book he had written ended things on a really down note and he wasn't happy with that. And he wanted to fix that with one more book. Uh, But then he died. Um, And and, yeah, he died at a really young age. I think he was like, he was 49 when he died. Um, So yeah, anyway, uh, but his, his widow hired somebody uh, who was also, uh, you know, uh, uh, it, 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 they were already a science fiction writer and uh, she liked the person's style and thought it was compatible and blah, 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 so, and hired them to do the sixth book. But anyway, there we go. Um, life, the universe, and everything where um, there's a bunch of robots that want to kill everybody and there's an artifact you have to put together. Anyway, it, it, it was okay it was fine it was fine it was fine it's just i you know i I, it, I i am hesitating a lot i am still giving it a thumbs up it is a fun book you should read it it's if you're into that kind of thing um it's just not as good as the others and i don't think hangs as well together listening to it as a cranky old curmudgeon or reading it or listening to it as a cranky old curmudgeon, as uh, it did when I was a teenager. There you go. Next up, and then we'll take our first break after this. Um, next up is the TV show Better Call Saul. Um, it ran from 2015 to 2022. Um, and I actually did pretty good on this one. I, I I'm looking and I it, it's, it started in February to 2015 and I started watching it, um, in September, 2015. So like seven months later, so I'm wasn't like I was watching them live as they came out. Um, but then, uh, it ended in August, 2022 and I finished it up, uh, in uh, February of this year, 2023. So, like, this is usually these days. I am watching shows years and years and years after they come out, um, and I don't tend to. I don't. I don't binge watch. Okay, my pattern is: I've got ten shows. I'm working my way through. Well, I, sh- I shouldn't put it that way. I have 10 items in my thing. Whenever I sit down to watch stuff, I pick a random number from one through 10. Um, One of those numbers says, go watch a movie. And then I have a whole separate process to watch a movie. Then I have two that are on like ongoing shows uh, that aren't, aren't episodic. You don't have to watch them in order, but and that's the PBS shows, Nova and Frontline. When I roll either one of those, we just watch the most recent episode of that show that I haven't already seen. Um, and then the other seven are shows that I am working my way through one episode at a time from beginning to end. Um, and and for those, because I do it this way and only sit down to sort of watch something um, maybe two or three times a week For one show, uh, sometimes a little more, sometimes a little less, depending on what's going on. Um, It usually takes me longer to watch a show than when it originally came out, because I'm not guaranteeing I'm watching a show every week or whatever. Now because most shows didn't put out shows, you know, 52 weeks a year or whatever. Um, I guess maybe it ends up being around the same, I don't know. Anyway, uh, Better Call Saul is one of the few that I was watching roughly not too long after the episodes actually came out. And in fact, at one point, I believe. I was in danger of catching up. I was like within like a week or two of the episodes that had actually come out, Uh, which, which by the way, if I catch up with everything a show has had, I actually stop watching that show and put it on a different list. And then eventually get anyway, I'm weird. I know this I'm weird. I, the way I have my systems for all this kind of stuff. Um, as, as I've mentioned, uh, in other context I don't know if I've said this on the show explicitly but I've never been diagnosed but m- my god like all of these are autistic traits <laughs> like the way I do this stuff so yeah probably uh, my family is convinced I'm convinced but uh anyway better call Saul um this is the uh sequel series or prequel series I should say to breaking bad Um, breaking bad was an excellent series. I watched that as well. I following it, followed it up with uh, better call Saul. Uh, there are a couple other, there's like a movie and there's a little mini cartoon series. And there are a couple other things that follow up on this that we may, uh, continue. Oh, I, I need to make sure I put that on my list to be on the thing. I think I, I think I did anyway. Um, Better Call Saul follows the adventures of uh, a lawyer who appeared in a couple episodes of uh, Breaking Bad. Uh, named, well, he, he was known as Saul Goodman in Breaking Bad. We find out in this series that his quote-unquote real name is Jimmy McGill, uh, and uh, Saul Goodman was an alias. And you sort of follow his history. Like, the events of Breaking Bad all occur like in one episode towards the very end of the series. Um, and you find out sort of how he became the person that he became. Um, this was also very good, very good series. Uh, possibly better than Breaking Bad was. Um, uh, and easier. Like, I found Breaking Bad, like, I tried to. I tried to start Breaking Bad a couple times before I watched it for real. um, Because like the first few episodes were kind of hard for me to like get into and I didn't really like get to a point where, okay, I like this. I'm definitely watching this. And this was before my current little system with rolling things that I described, but um, yeah, the, I found uh Breaking Bad hard to get into but then once I was into it I was really into it. Uh Better Call Saul I feel like I was into right away and maybe it was because I w- had already adapted to like the style of Breaking Bad um but uh it, it was uh it was really good. I uh, I mean it's got some funny moments, it's got some tragic moments, it's got some um it, it's got characters you care about. It, it really is one of these, like th- there, there's this clear plot stuff going on, but you really get to know and care about the people that are driving the story. Um, And it, it's, it's, it's one of those, it's uh, one of these, uh, I guess they call them prestige dramas or whatever Um, where, you know, it's, it's sort of semi-cinematic. Um, they really take themselves, I don't want to take themselves seriously. They, they, they care about making a really quality product, you know, where you, the plot is good. It's well thought out. The characters are good. You think about them. You care about them. They, the acting is good, you know, everything comes together. So big thumbs up for Better Call Saul. And uh, I don't know what else to say about it. If you have not seen Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul, they are both really good shows. I can't speak to the most, the the, the spin-offs that happened afterwards. I think there's, like I said, there's a movie, there's a little cartoon thing. There's a couple of little things. I, I, I don't know. Anyway, but I can't, I haven't watched those yet. I probably will at some point. But, Big thing, big thumbs up for uh, both of those. Um, yeah, and now it's time for a break, 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 break. Uh, and then when we come back, uh, what did I say was next? Oh yes, Trump, lots of Trump stuff, and maybe a little bit of Santos. So we will be back after this.
1: Alex and West. Bang Alex and Dad. Gaming videos and more from Alex. Elementary School Fight Day. YouTube by night. AlexMZilla.com. AlexMZilla is A L E X M X E L A. And dot com is period .com
0: Okay, we are back. Be- I can't hear
1: myself. Hold on.
0: Hello, he- hello, hello. Okay. Okay, you can hear me. Fine. Okay, we are back. And before I start on the Trump stuff, I just want to follow up on the life the un- on life the universe and everything, and the Doctor Who connection. So I looked it up. Douglas Adams was not the writer for the first Key to Time episode, but he became the script editor for Doctor Who near the end of the Key to Time series. So he didn't do the whole thing, but he came in at the end. And the Key to Time on Doctor Who was several years before he wrote. Life the universe and everything. Life the universe and everything was 1982. The key to time series of Doctor Who was from 1978 to 1979. And uh, this obvious like connection and inspiration back and forth there because this I mean all the details are very very different of course. Uh, it's just the the sort of idea of this the quest to assemble the pieces and put them together. It, 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 it's just you read the one it reminds you of the TV show and, and you know, it again, the, the individual segments and the plots are, it's all different, but that part of it stays the same. Okay. With that out of the way, it's time to talk about Trump again. And Actually, like, let's jump to the town hall. Like, I know the Carol stuff happened first and everything, but the, it's time to talk about Trump again. Is connected to that because there's there's this whole conversation about how much should we be paying attention to Donald Trump and sh- and should we still should should we just ignore him? And you know, CNN when you know, Anderson Cooper put on his little defense of the town hall saying like, look, this represents a significant portion of the American population and you can't ignore it and you have to look at it and know that this is real, know that it's happening again, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. There are very few people who seriously think the answer is to pretend Donald Trump doesn't exist and like not report on him. You can't avoid Donald Trump. You can't avoid reporting on him. He is indeed the front runner for the Republican nomination. And in general election polls for 2024, we're basically showing a tie race right now with maybe Trump slightly ahead, actually. And we'll talk about that more when we get to underestimating and blah, blah, blah. No, you can't ignore him. The thing that people were criticizing CNN for was they're not just covering him. They made this event. They set up this event. They are, as they say, platforming him. They are promoting it. They are pushing it. They gave him a very friendly environment. It was part of his requirements that they they have a crowd of friendlies for him. It was a crowd of Trump supporters. There were no uh, people from the town hall that were not. At best, there were a few people who said they hadn't made up their minds, but very but very few. Most of them were, were out-and-out Trump supporters. It was a friendly audience. Um, Caitlin Collins, who moderated and asked question and asked a bunch of questions, et cetera. Uh, Got a bunch of props for pushing back. Um, But it still allowed the. When he comes out and lies, even if you push back immediately. The lies out there, the lies pushing. I mean, and, and yes, it's out there anyway. I understand. But like, In this particular situation, if Donald Trump wanted to do a town hall, let him do a fucking town hall. Let him and his campaign set it up. Uh, Send some cameras there. Send a reporter there. uh, Listen to what's said, and if there's anything newsworthy, then report on the newsworthy thing and leave out the rest. You know, you don't have to give him a platform— for just spewing out nonsense for an hour. And this is what CNN, this is what people were mad at CNN about to even thinking that this was the right thing to do. Anybody can find like full coverage of any event. Like if Donald Trump goes and does something That stuff will be out there. But there's a question of what you push. And same thing for Biden, by the way. There there should not be an automatic default of live coverage for practically anything. You know, there there are a few things. Like, okay, if you have a historic event, the the freaking King's coronation a couple weeks ago, okay – Everybody's going to play that live. You have an actual inauguration. Everybody's going to play that live. If the president is actually like making an announcement that we're going to war or something, okay, live coverage. But if you're having a little campaign speech, there's no need for that to be live coverage for any candidate. You, you record it and you report on it and you, you, don't just play what they said you do analysis of it you if they lie you headline that and you know you do the truth sandwich thing where you say that it's a lie you play the lie and then you repeat that it's a lie and why you know you don't just you, you, you don't just give the platform straight up if they want a platform there are all kinds of places to do it online and offline And I think CNN, this is all part of a effort CNN has been doing to try to gain back audience. They have a new head of CNN who has explicitly said that the previous CNN was alienating conservatives and he wants to undo that. And so this is part of that. And this is part of the both sides thing as well, that other media outlets have been criticized for as well, in terms of sort of there's this immediate, there's this media tradition in the United States of neutrality that certain outlets stick to, where they have to, they feel like they have to do everything as an equivalent. Here's what the Democrats say. Here's what the Republicans say. You decide. Rather than playing a truth seeking role where they doubt everybody, they don't just repeat anybody's statements, but they check everything and tell you what's really true. That's how it should be. But there's still huge chunks of the media who just don't think doing it that way is the right way. They think it has to be, we have to be balanced. We have to be neutral. We have to be fair. You should not be able to tell our opinion. We just report what other people say. And we need to give roughly equal credence to the two sides. Which, was always ridiculous, to be honest. But in this environment, where one of the two parties has completely decided that truth is irrelevant, it, it, it's it's very irresponsible. Now, there's also the monetary point of view, of course. CNN has been; their ratings are on the floor. Yvonne brought this up last week a little bit. This is not the CNN of days gone by when they were the news behemoth. Not only now are they beyond below Fox which has been true for a long long time, they're below MSNBC too. They're below all kinds of other non-news things. They are doing really badly. You know, and and they're desperate to try to bring people back and apparently the Donald Trump show the other day gave them triple their normal ratings for that time frame and so it worked from that point of view and now it was a one off did it bring back anybody permanently? I kind of doubt it but we are going to have this kind of issue at least through the 2024 elections and most likely beyond CNN is doing the both sides. New York times is doing the both sides. Lots of other folks are doing it. As I said, it's sort of really ingrained into the media mindset in the United States, less, less so in other countries uh, news outlets are very opinionated elsewhere. And obviously Fox is very opinionated. There's no question about what side they're on. Uh, same is true. Pretty much of most things on MSNBC. There are a few exceptions, but MSNBC is very opinionated as well. Um, and there are lots of publications that are, but sort of the publications in TV, radio, etc. cetera. Uh, but there are lots of places that really try to stick to that, you know, we're going to act like everything is normal and the and the sides are equal. This kind of thing, you know, has afflicted things like the climate change debate as well, where you have to treat, quote unquote, both sides the same, where one has tons of evidence and the other does not, um, et cetera. So anyway, and, and back to the town hall itself. I guess I did not watch. Um, I, I made the conscious decision not to watch. I could have watched, but I did not watch it live. I did watch a few highlights. I did watch some commentary on it, uh, but I did not did not watch the thing itself. Um, from all reports, it was basically what everybody expected. Donald Trump spent an hour lying about various things, going off on things, ranting. Uh, He was, there were some live fact checks, but in most cases he doubled down and ignored the fact check and kept saying what he wanted to say anyway. Uh, If not in all cases, he never admits that he's wrong on anything. I don't, he's like psychologically incapable of that. Um, And one piece that is interesting uh, is that apparently he said a bunch of stuff that puts him in more legal jeopardy. He double it was only days after in the Carroll case he was found liable in order to pay her five million dollars for defaming her and saying she was lying about his sexual assault and he did it again. You know, and her legal team is already saying they're thinking about another lawsuit. Um, And it would be the third. Uh, this was one, the one that was uh, settled, not settled. The one that was resolved this week was one of two already. There was another one working its way through the system um, for a different occasion in which he defamed her for the same stuff. And now apparently here, there, there could be a third because He just can't help himself, I guess, from doubling down, saying it's not true, saying she's a liar, saying he doesn't even know who she is, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, In addition to that, he made statements about the documents at Mar-a-Lago that basically admit he did it. I mean, he, he makes statements like, well, it was fully legal for me to do it. I didn't hide it. I had every right to do it. I, anything I took was automatically declassified, blah, blah, blah. And like, I'm not sure I sent, I don't think I showed it to anybody, but if I did, it would be perfectly legal because, you know, blah, blah, blah. And the thing is, he may be stating that he thinks it was legal and he could do whatever the hell he wanted. But that's actually wrong on a legal basis, according to anybody who actually seems to know the details of the law and what it says, who knows what will happen in court, but he's admitting the underlying behavior. He's just claiming it was legal, but he's admitting the underlying behavior and you know that if the special counsel proceeds with a case, this video of the town hall is going to be in there. It's just... And also saying things about January 6th. Um... You know, basically doubling down on saying that he thought it was a good thing. The people were great. He's going to pardon them. Blah 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 blah. Things like that. He said these things before. Um, I don't know if any of those statements are directly incriminating for things that the special counsel is looking at, but I wouldn't be surprised. Um. So in the end, now does like the town hall hurt Donald Trump politically? I don't know. I've heard people argue all sides of this. On the one hand, it's revving up his base. It's exposing more people to what he says as if it's legitimate, uh, et cetera. I've heard other people saying uh, that, well, Uh, Joe Scarsborough from Morning Joe um, summarized it by saying, look, the pattern we have seen all the way back through the beginning of the 2020 election cycle is that when people are talking about Donald Trump, it helps Joe Biden. And when people are talking about Joe Biden, it helps Donald Trump. Um, and so does this hurt him a bit because it basically reminds people of all the things they don't like about him and the people who don't like him outnumber the people who do maybe, I I kind of think it's probably a wash as most of these things are uh because most people have made up their minds long 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 time ago but here's the thing and in just a second we'll talk about polling and you know where i have things on election graphs and all that kind of stuff but that small fraction that has not made up their minds and sort of wafts back and forth between what's in the atmosphere this week or that week or next week, because things are so closely divided, that group is the one that's going to make the difference. Like the people who are newsies and pay attention and are like aware of the week by week details of what are going on and who have strong partisan opinions to begin with. Those folks aren't moving. There is nothing that could happen in the news cycle that would end up with me voting for Donald Trump. Absolutely nothing. You know, um, are there things that, could conceivably happen that would have me not wanting Joe Biden? Maybe. But is there something that could make me vote for Donald Trump? No. And like the the vast majority of the public is in one of those two. One caveat. The vast majority of voters are already in one of those two buckets. There is a huge portion of the American public that is just so tuned out they never vote. If you ever succeed in activating those people, it changes everything. But of the people who are actual likely voters, um, most people have made up their mind. They're sticking with whatever they have made up their mind with. Um, And it's very evenly divided. Now, state by state, obviously it's not, but nationwide, it's very evenly divided. And it's that group in the middle. Who flop back and forth. (laughs) And I I have a hard time imagining exactly what's going through their heads because I am not one of those people. Um, But that group of people are the ones who are going to decide what's going on. Uh, Which brings us to the whole idea of where things are right now. And hey, we got a long way to go, just to be clear. Hold
1: on, I'm looking something up. There we go.
0: (laughs) Okay, so we're going to talk polls and where we are right now and things like that. The first thing I have to say is we got a long, 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 long time until election day 2024. as I am recording this it is 542.2 days until the polls start to close on election day. I have that right up on election graphs uh, you know if you look at the 2024 electoral college page um, and so much can change in that time period. So what what the state of things are now will change a dozen times. Maybe more before we get to election day. So that caveat in place. I think so. What we're talking about today is not predictive of where we'll be in November 2024. It's only a snapshot of where we are now, which does indicate sort of how much work each side has to do. And so the first thing I'll do, I'll do popular vote because. People always want to think about that as well. Um, And then I'll go to election, uh, electoral college because that's what actually matters. But popular vote, like here, here's the thing I keep, And this goes to the underestimating Donald Trump stuff. Um, I keep hearing people say that, The Democrats love that Trump is the front runner because he will be the easiest to beat. And he is, uh, look at all of these problems he has and he's got, you know, he's probably going to be indicted a few more times before we get to the election. And it's all very like, did you guys not live through 2016? (laughs) You know, and in 2016 and in 2020, Trump was always behind. I should check 2016. Hold on a second. Yeah, I, I, I just double checked my 2016 um, election graph stuff. Uh, and it, it, there was never a point. In either 2016 or 2020, that Donald Trump clearly led in the polls. Now, yeah, sure, there were points where there was individual polls here and there, but on the averages and everything else, he was never actually in the lead. He's in the lead right now. When you look at the the only place I found that's tracking um With an actual average and stuff, the national popular vote general election numbers uh, for Trump versus Biden is real clear politics. And they are somewhat problematic in terms of how they choose which things to include and which things not and blah, blah, blah. But having said that, their average right now is Trump ahead by 0.7%. That's not much. That's basically a tie. But it shows him a little bit ahead. And even if you, it's just like, it's a tie. Okay. Siri here. Let me know if I can help. No, no, you can't help Siri. Anyway, it's a tie. It's a tie on popular vote. Biden won 2020 popular vote wise by a a decent chunk in the end millions of votes right now in national polls we got a tie let's just call it a tie maybe trump slightly ahead but a tie anybody who is thinking trump has all these problems so therefore of course the Democrats are going to win in 2024. Need to wake up. There may be lots of Republicans. Like if, you, if you look at the polls of Republicans only, Trump is by far the front runner for the nomination, and he's got over 50%, but it's only a little over 50% in those polls, like 50, 55, 60, somewhere around there. But that translates into maybe a quarter of the electorate however those republicans who don't who wish they had somebody else other than donald trump as their nominee still would prefer him to biden or probably most other democrats you know it, 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 if if i look at national polls for you know real clear politics has a paywall now they only let you look at like one or two things a week unless you either allow ads or pay i'm not going to allow ads on real clear politics i'm not going to pay them either so I was going to check out what the national popular vote was for Biden versus DeSantis or Harris versus Trump or Harris versus DeSantis. Cause they have that there, but no, I am, I am not disabling my ad blocker and I am not paying you. So fuck that. Oops. Um, anyway. Um, the, what it looks like is that, even Republicans who wish they could move on from Donald Trump would prefer DeSantis, would prefer whatever, still prefer them over the Democrat. And so here we are again. And you know, I promised I'd do the Electoral College version, but I mean it's fundamentally the same. Um with all only only Biden versus Trump has enough polls that I feel really confident talking about it. They've got uh enough polls in all the key close states that I feel like it's a pretty good picture on electiongraphs.com. Uh Biden versus DeSantis is getting close to where I feel good about talking about it. You still have to be somewhat careful and know which states have more polls and which states have less. Um Beyond that, if you're looking at Any of the other Democrats, like if you wanted to see like Harris or RFK Jr. um, or anybody like that, there have also been polls for Newsom and Pritzker. Or if you wanted to look at alternate Republicans besides Trump and DeSantis, like Pence, Sununu, or Junkin, there have been so few polls about anybody other than Biden, Trump, and DeSantis that if you're looking at a combination with anybody else uh, on a state level like this you're looking at nothing. There's just like a smattering of polls in a couple of places and there's nothing that's enough to talk about. But we you know but but Biden versus Trump we can talk about and it's essentially the same view as the national popular vote thing. Um, we have Trump slightly ahead on election graphs. Um, my plain view that doesn't try to do any fancy statistical stuff based on past reliability of polls, etc., just who's ahead with a simple five-poll average in every state, uh, shows Trump winning by six electoral votes if all the states came out the way they were, but... If you take all the close states and allow them to go either way, it's anything from Trump winning by 96 electoral votes to Biden winning by 162. You completely straddle the midline, and there are a large number of close states that really could go either way. So you're once again talking about essentially a tie race. If you do look at my probabilistic models, which basically are looking at – I take the – every year we've been doing election graphs and how far off was the final election graphs average in every state to what actually happened in the election and use that to sort of say, okay, if – Uh, If the Republican is ahead by 1% in a state, what's the odds of them winning that state, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, uh, and then do simulations. I have two views of it, but they come very close together and basically come down to uh, Biden, if the election was today, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, um, having uh, Biden Having a one third chance of winning and Trump around a two thirds chance Something of. Else I can help with. No, no, you can't help Siri. Uh, Biden having a one third chance. Sure I understand. Yeah, you don't understand anything, Siri. Uh, anyway, Biden having a one third chance and Trump having about a two thirds chance. Um, which is, is is Trump ahead a little bit? But that's still basically could go any way. A third is nothing to sneeze at when Trump won in 2016, the average of people I didn't do odds that year, but the average of people who did got it to be around 14%. Um, So Biden has double that chance at the moment. And this is very precarious. And, you know, that six electoral votes that Trump wins in, in the simple forget the stats model, um, is just by Wisconsin. Wisconsin is the state that makes a difference, and his poll average there is a lead of 0.2%, which is nothing. And I fully expect, because the trend since Election Day, since the midterm election, has been away from Trump towards Biden. Before that, it was going the other direction. Trump was actually strengthening up through Election Day. But since... November, things have been going more and more Biden as time has progressed. There haven't been any big, sudden changes. Like it's not like the indictment like went boom or anything like that. Although, also I should say, polling is still slow enough that any changes show up slowly. So, like, if it, if in a big event happens, you're not going to know the the ex, full extent of the reaction for months because we're still getting only two or three state level polls um, a week, usually, um, and any particular state uh, is still going to be over an extended length of time. So, if, you know, just as uh, Let's do a, a, a couple of examples. Hold on. I mentioned Wisconsin is the picking picking point, picking point. Uh, Wisconsin is the tipping point state. That is the one that would put Trump over the edge. Um, there have been, there, there have been five poll, there, there have been only five polls ever in Wisconsin so far of Biden versus Trump for two thousand twenty four and those are spaced out over the last year and a half you know I'm not sure I understand yeah Siri you you keep trying to jump into this conversation but you know you don't understand so yeah uh the last poll was in April April 19th but before that there hadn't been one since October there were two polls in all of 2022 and two polls in 2021. So here's what I found. Yeah, thank you. Uh, so my reaction, the reaction time to changes is still really slow when you're looking at state level, which is one reason why you might still want to look at something like the national real clear politics numbers, uh, just because there are more national polls. There are several of them happening every week, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but bottom line uh is that the state by state level also shows essentially a tie race you know it's gonna there are a bunch of close states still, and it's gonna come down to what happens in a handful of states um if things are like what they are today but and like I said, things will change dramatically. I mean hell, it's quite possible that for health or death reasons, one or both of Biden and Trump may not even be around come November 2024. You never know. That could happen. Um, and, you know, we're talking about all these Trump indictments and maybe they do move the needle and they could. They could. They absolutely could. We could be in an entirely different place. By the time we get to November 2024, we almost certainly will be in an entirely different place. You've got other factors like the economy. Uh, we'll In the next segment, we'll talk a little bit about the debt limit. If, if we manage to completely tank the economy and go into a major recession or hell, even a depression, maybe that's bad for Biden no matter who's running against him, and you get... Donald, a big boost for Donald Trump from that. Um, I don't know, but the point is right now, if you look at things either with national polling or with state level polling, you got basically a tie race. You once again have a super, super close race that really could go either way. And so I get frustrated every time and I hear it almost every day where people are saying, yeah, Trump, Trump's got all of these issues. Um, I mean, people always sort of put in the caveat, like, you, you can't be complacent. Look what happened in 2016, the kinds of things I'm saying. But I hear a lot of what seems like, to me, misplaced confidence. Now, look, I want to be careful here. I have no problem with being optimistic. I have no problem with being enthusiastic about like, go, go, rah, rah, let's go. But I worry a lot about complacency because that's exactly what happened in 2016. What happened in 2016 was everybody was like, Hillary's got this wrapped up. Hillary is inevitable. There is no way Donald Trump can win. And then a bunch of people made the decision that they were safe to either do protest votes for like Jill Stein or somebody or to stay home because, ah, why bother? We, you know, we know the answer. Hillary is going to win. We don't have to worry about Donald Trump and all of those people who were out there as well saying there's no difference. They both suck. Well, I think we've had plenty of time to see that there actually was a difference. Like, Hillary, I, I can't even comprehend. Of course, there was a difference between Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump. And anybody who can't see that, I am so sorry. Uh, but yeah, like, I worry about the complacency. I worry about people saying, getting back into that mindset that says a second Trump presidency is unimaginable. And therefore, it can't happen. And therefore, of course, Biden is going to win. And therefore, we don't have to work as hard. We don't have to push as hard. We don't have to do whatever. No. Right now, yes, 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 542 days out, lots and lots can change. But right now, it's a tie race. It's a tie race, both by the popular vote and the electoral college. And people have to be thinking about it that way. And people have to realize that Donald Trump still has a lot of strength out there. It's not just, oh, the fringe MAGAs. Yes, they're the fringe hardcore MAGAs, but when it push comes to shove and it's Democrat versus Republican, Trump gets a lot of those Republicans who aren't hardcore MAGA too. Because they still like him more than any Democrat. So we have to treat it that way. And frankly, even if the numbers were showing a huge Biden win, we should still be treating it like that. But it, there's, there's no time for complacency here. There's no time that there, there, there's. MAGA is real. MAGA is a real threat. Trump is a real threat. At no point should anybody be deluding themselves of that. A second Trump presidency is a very, very real possibility. And with that, I'll take my second break. And this one is, as, as I promised last week, this one
1: is Apple Dream 8. In this dream, Alex has broken, well, in the not in the dream, but in the background of the dream, like in stuff that I knew had already happened in the dream, but wasn't happening right then in the dream, Alex had already broken some mugs. That were mugs I was keeping and couldn't replace easily and were important to me. And a couple other delicate things where he was sort of intentionally tossing them and playing with them. And like, then they would break and he'd be like, Ooh, I knew they, w- I didn't think they would break. Ooh, ooh, I didn't think it would break. Um, but it was clearly intentionally being rough with the item. And then in the dream, he took another such item and tossed it, and at first it didn't look like it broke, but then it clearly did break, and then I got mad, and then I yelled at Alex for doing this, and I used some swear words, which Alex does not like, and then Mom came into the room and yelled at me for using the swear words. And I was like, but mug, but broken bug. He threw another mug. And then I woke up. And it was one of those dreams where I woke up with the sense of relief, recognizing that the mug wasn't really broken.
0: Okay, we are back. And before I get to the debt limit and COVID and all that kind of stuff, a couple things I realized uh, just to wrap up the last segment first of all i miss talking about santos but fuck george santos uh he's he's got charges he's a liar blah 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 you know it's gonna go on for a while and then eventually he'll be gone um but uh not from congress for a while Second, I just wanted to note that at the end of the last segment, I was talking about how everything was tied. uh just to acknowledge it, although I said it earlier, yes, uh in both the r c p national average and in what I have ele- in election graphs, Trump is a bit ahead uh but the the thing is the the error bars on that are huge. And so, effectively, it's a tie. Uh, even when you look at my percentage model, I mean, a 66 versus 33 split or whatnot, it's not quite that, but very close to that, um, that's still, a could go either way easily, which is uh, uh, what I'm calling a tie. Although, again, with current numbers, Trump is very slightly ahead in both cases, and um, and uh, with election graph specifically, I, I, given the downward trend, I'm sort of like at any moment, there could be a new poll in Wisconsin that would flip it over to Biden being slightly ahead. It's like right on the edge. One poll could flip it over. Um, so and then finally, the one last thing on that I wanted to talk about was you know one point that people keep bringing up is, OK, well, but. In 2022, didn't the polls completely miss how strong the Democrats ended up in in the House particularly? And the answer to that is no, not really. Uh, What happened was the polls about a month out from the election showed the Democrats getting clobbered. But by the time we got to election day, they'd mostly caught up and people. And if you were one of the ones that were carefully looking at the polls, the result we got was not shocking. It was it was within the normal range of error of polls. Um, what happened though was people's narratives got stuck several weeks out from the election, based on what was seeing there. And there was at least some notion that there might have been some manipulation with a whole bunch of uh, conservative-leaning pollsters releasing results around the same time, maybe, that caused that bump. But by the time we got to election day, it was clear that it was close. Uh, The chances of the Democrats actually pulling out the House were pretty slim, but it was clear that it was going to be close and not a big red wave. Um, the the big red wave expectations, by the time we got to election day, anyone looking at the polls was no longer expecting a huge red wave. There, there was still the expectations that the Republicans would probably take the house and they did it just turned out to be just barely but again the if you look just at the polls right before the election it was right more spot on but even with that like let's say that you know for looking at presidential elections over the last five election cycles which goes back 20 years sometimes the polls have shown it being less republican than the actual results And sometimes it's shown the reverse, where the polls showed a, I'm mixing up my wording, either way, it's shown both directions, right? The, on average, and the majority of those five elections, but also the average when I do all my calculations for election graphs, shows a little bit of a bias towards expect the actual results to be a little bit more Republican than what the polls say. Like, to be... More than 50 that the that the Democrats are going to win, they have to actually be—I uh, forget the exact number—it's like one point seven percent ahead or something like that. Um, but and that's where it goes in 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 terms of what I do for my models. But here's the thing: my point is not specific on that. Let's say it was the other way around. Let's assume going in. That this time the polls are underestimating the Democrats and the Democrats are actually stronger than what the polls say. Fine. It's still close. Even if you give the Democrats a couple points bonus instead of the Republicans a couple point bonus, or even if you just take those polls at face value without trying to say, okay, Democrats have to do better than break even to actually be break even, blah, 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 blah. That only affects my odds. One, by the way, not my straight up version, which is just straight to values. Anyway, the the point is, though, either way, it's close. Right now. So, you know, don't be getting extra like, oh, Democrats are definitely winning, whatever, just because in 2022, Democrats uh, maybe slightly outperformed the polls. I don't think they... That was not as significant as everyone thinks because of what I said. It's like the last few weeks moved in the Democrats' directions anyway, and so you know people got locked into the what the polls looked like a month out instead of what they were looking like right before. Anyway, okay. Oh, and again, you know, George Santos is just a moron. I don't need to spend more time on that. Okay, so. What this last segment was supposed to be about is um, the debt limit and the end of all the COVID emergencies. Okay, so debt limit first. Everyone still seems to be expecting that there will be a last minute deal, just like there always is on these. And I guess the expectation is, I mean, it's happened every other time. So why not this time? And that may be right. We may get that deal. Um, but the difference is that the, the whole dynamic on the Republican side seems to be more about, I mean, there's a significant contingent that wants to default and McCarthy himself is in a bind. Um, And so even if Biden caves completely and says, okay, fine, we'll agree to all kinds of spending cuts, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, unless he agrees to everything the Republicans put in that bill that they managed to pass a few weeks ago, uh, it's unclear that the Republicans in the House would still pass it. Maybe, but it's unclear. Um, And so it seems like the odds of this actually going over the brink are greater than they have been at any of the previous times we've been through this. That does not mean by any means that it is inevitable. No, no, no. We're not like doing that thing where we round our odds up to either zero or a hundred um it's just more likely than it has been in the past that we actually have that chaotic solution another thing and i i, I do i have the I, I don't have the article i'll i'll look it up i'll look it up there was an article recently here we go well. okay here we go there was an article in the in New York magazine not the New Yorker New York magazine by Ed Kilgore uh, on May 9th what if Republicans actually want a debt disaster uh, and basically it pulls the it, it read the article it's a good article uh basically it says that, what if Republicans just straight up are trying to play the political calculus that says to use Carville's old phrase, it's the economy stupid. And that if the economy gets tanked, then the Republicans have a better shot uh, in the next election cycle. Because no matter what the specifics of what happened in general, a huge portion of the public just blames the president in power and his party or her party Um, because they're not looking at details. They're not following, you know, what's this back and forth between Congress and the president? What are the underlying issues? Uh, You know, or even like, is it even the president's, something the president has control over? Because often it's like, the economic stuff is really more affected by decisions the Fed is making. But like m- most people don't know or care. Um, And you have the same dynamic that I talked about uh, last segment, two segments ago, wherever that the, there are the vast majority of voters are either Republican or Democrat and aren't going to flip no matter what. But this, the group in the middle is not as small as we think. I mean, I, I remember, you know, in the last two election cycles, talking about how, you know, everybody's made up their mind. Nothing anybody does is going to change anything. And that is true for most voters. But this squishy group in the middle are that do bother to vote But don't bother to have strongly held opinions or follow the details of anything. That group is malleable and moves back and forth. And when everything else is evenly divided, they matter. And so the basic theory there is that that group will just blame the party in power. And in in this case, it's the Democrats. And so what's wrong with tanking the economy? you know if if that's that might be a working strategy that would you know get republicans winning not just the presidency but senate races house races everything uh state house governors because the blame just gets apportioned to whoever is perceived as being in charge and if that's the case then you know, we're in for a rough ride Um, because, you know, as Yvonne keeps saying, you know, the way this has always been resolved before is the Democrats plus a handful of Republicans. The problem is to get that deal to work, you either need cooperation from McCarthy to bring that, bring that up which may lose him his speakership and it's unclear whether or not he's willing to do this. Or you need enough Republicans to do the whole discharge position, discharge petition thing, um, which the Democrats have been preparing. There was a flurry of articles a week or so ago about how they'd started the vehicle for that way back in January or something. And the problem with the discharge petition is it requires all kinds of steps that are very time consuming, blah, blah, blah. It also requires a really large percentage of uh, the house supporting it to sort of override leadership and blah, blah, blah. Um, it's unclear that they could do that. You know, that is another possibility that's out there. Um, so yeah, looks like a rough ride. And uh, I I said on the curmudgeons corner slack, and I'll just put the prediction out here too. If push comes to shove, I think, and and, and there is no deal with Congress, there is nothing passing, there. there is no, nothing coming from Congress to Biden to sign that would raise the debt limit um, because they can't reach any sort of deal. Um, I think he would go the 14th Amendment route. I think... Biden and the folks at the Fed and Treasury and everybody else have made their made it absolutely clear that they hold the whole idea of the platinum coin in utter disdain and think that it would be a dip, a gimmick that may or may not hold up in court especially with this supreme court who knows and that they just don't like that option. I've said before like I I wouldn't do the I just like saying this. So forgive me if you've heard it before. Um, I like the coin idea, but I wouldn't do it with the big, huge platinum coin, not physically huge, but the the like $1 trillion coin uh, deposited at the Fed. I prefer the idea of making smaller denomination platinum coins, probably like a million bucks each or something, and just using them to pay bills. Uh, federal government bills. Uh, the example I like to use is Lockheed Martin delivers a new airplane. You you have somebody uh, from the Treasury like walk over to them with a bag of coins and say, "Here's your bag of coins. Thank you for the plane." <laughs> you know, uh, I, I I think that would be hilarious and uh, just interesting. Forget taking on new debt. Just mint the coins and pay, and actually pay for things with them. Now obviously if you minted million dollar coins you could only pay for high ticket items that way. If in order to make this work you need to pay, you know do it for smaller ticket items too. Okay. Yeah, you know, work your way down. Like I, I wouldn't wanna I, I wouldn't want to hassle like regular people with getting like their social security checks in platinum coins. But you know, for bigger ticket items, I just think it would be hilarious. But nobody's gonna do it. Um Biden himself did mention that they are looking at the 14th Amendment option. They have said before that they didn't think that was a way to go, but if push comes to shove, I think that's the option that they would probably go with. Um, and basically for those not familiar, the 14th amendment, one of the things it says is the faith and credit of the United States will not be challenged, uh, which basically says that, yeah, the, the the debts are valid and must be paid. Um, and so the argument would be that therefore The debt limit itself is unconstitutional under the 14th Amendment, and so we're just going to keep on going, Uh, pretend the debt limit didn't even exist, and continue doing what we need to do uh, in order to pay the bills. Um, That obviously, just like the platinum coin, would go to court. Uh, It almost certainly would go all the way to the Supreme Court, uh, probably in an expedited fashion, Um, but then... It also would put the, if it was already done and the government was continuing to pay bills uh, along these lines past the debt limit, then it would put it on the court to say, okay, are you really going to be the ones that invalidate all this debt? Because then you not only potentially would be. Saying that the debt limit applied, but you would have to invalidate the additional government bonds that had been done after you hit the debt limit. Um, or I guess the the court has some discretion; they could they could set a new debt limit. I, I I don't know what they would do, but you would basically put it on the court to be like, okay, are you the ones who are going to tank the economy? Um, which a would make you know putting the blame somewhere a little bit easier. Um, but also might result in hesitancy by the court. Who knows? Anyway, enough debt limit stuff. Next up, the end of the COVID emergency. Uh, the WHO said the emergency is over. They very carefully said, but the pandemic is not over and everybody should remain cautious, et cetera, take precautions, blah, blah, blah. But the emergency is over. Um, the CDC declared essentially the same thing. Um, all kinds of other countries are at, at that point as well. Um, I hope we don't end up regretting this. um, one of the things that we've seen in the most recent waves, first of all, I, I want to say numbers are way down. I mean, numbers have been flat for a while. Actually, like they, they've been more flat than down since the big dive in numbers almost a year ago. I forget exactly when it was. I should bring up my graphs. I, I, I should bring them. Hold on, I've got uh, I've got a little chart that I. You know, the chart I used to post on Twitter that, uh, you know, of COVID deaths worldwide, blah, blah, blah. Um, while I'm bringing that up, I will say I did one last update of it like a few weeks back and I did not post it. And one of the reasons I didn't post it is because reporting has gotten so bad, so bad. Um, the, the, the last big drop from, you know, the, the last big peak was at the very beginning of 2022 and then, then there was a big dive down. Um, and then, you know, for the most part, we've been hovering in a range since early summer, 2022. Uh, it goes up a little bit down a little bit. And I am looking at worldwide numbers right now. Um, but the last couple times I've posted updates of this, it always looks like the most recent time period is taking a huge dive because reporting has gotten really bad and really delayed. There are lots of places, you know, almost no place has been reporting daily anymore. And the places that do are probably stopping with this, uh, Uh, The end of the emergency declaration, lots of people, lots of places were uh, had reduced reporting to weekly and some even less. Um, And so what you had is the numbers were quote unquote only reliable going back a few months and anything that in the last any numbers for the last couple of months was like i don't know cuz only only some of the people are even bothering reporting and even more than that the testing has gotten more and more lax too um you know people were doing at home tests instead of uh, the tests that actually got reported to health authorities so anyway it looks like things have i'm going to assume the more recent downtrends are just an artifact of reporting, and in actuality, what's been the case is that we've been flat since mid 2022. Now we've been flat at an annoyingly high level that's probably still underreported. Uh, but we've been flat. The other part is, uh, it, yeah, this was always true to an extent, but at this point with vaccinations also available and all of this, almost all of the really serious illness and death, is either on the elderly, or on people that are immuno—I imm- can never say immunocompromised—that are people that are immunocompromised or otherwise already fairly sick, and COVID just pushes them over the edge and kills them, um, in terms of deaths. Um, and we, and so to a large extent, people are like, well, if it's just the elderly and sick that's something we can deal with they were all gonna die anyway and that just and it's not worth inconveniencing ourselves for that portion of the population and i <laughs> that that bugs me so much um but i think that's where a lot of people ended up after all this time they were they were sick of restricting their own activities they were sick of wearing masks um And that's where we go. The other thing it doesn't take fully into account uh, is long COVID type uh, symptoms for for people who have long COVID and also the increasing evidence that even if you have mild cases with every new COVID infection, you increase your chances of all kinds of other things. Uh, increased risk of stroke, increased risk of heart attack, uh, all, all kinds of other things, uh, that it's just messing with your body in all sorts of ways that may not be immediately critical, but reduce your quality of life and increase your chance of other health issues. And we're not tracking that well. We're not caring about that significantly because, again, it's sort of like you, you brush it under the rug and say, you yeah, well, I'll worry about that if it happens to me. I guess. Um, like I said, I hope we won't all end up a few years talking about how big a mistake we made, uh, by, by considering it all to be over at the same time, you know, the sort of pattern of these kinds of things, like going back to the, what it was at 1914 flu. I forget the exact year around there. um, is that you do have the big spike for a couple years and then it gradually declines and never goes away completely. Um uh, the 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 flu from back then, a hundred plus years ago, is still around. People still still get that strain sometimes today. It's just not like thought about or considered at all anymore. Um COVID does seem to have. More ongoing long term effects, but I guess we'll see. Um, I am nobody, nobody's wearing masks anymore. Uh, very, very, very few. Um, I still wear a mask when I go into grocery stores and stuff, but I've loosened up on restaurants. I've been eating in restaurants a few times, I've been into my office a couple of times for meetings now. My, my employer is pushing us to fully start coming back into the office three times a week uh, later this month. Uh, it, it depends on buildings. My building is later this month. Other parts are already in. Um, when I, when I last went into the office um, a couple, it was actually only a couple weeks back. It was still a ghost town. There was nobody there. So I wore my mask the first few minutes. and But then when I got to the point where I'm like, I, there's an entire floor of people here, and I'm in a conference room by myself because I it, it I went to work accidentally. It's it's a weird story. I was going to be there for a conference call because I couldn't get home in time, so I went to a conference room. Um, I So I was in a room by myself. There was nobody there. On the entire floor I was at, it seemed like there were maybe five people, and so I took my mask off even though I was inside. Um and then I actually did find my my boss's boss and ended up having lunch with them and I did not wear a mask for that. So even I I'm getting laxer. Um but when I go back when everybody is going back um I I'm I th- I want I want to wear a mask at the moment, but I realize there might be some peer pressure and I might end up taking it off uh, for some periods. I did go and buy another CO2 monitor. I have one here at home. I bought one that's portable. It was, it was cheap. It was like 30 bucks or 35, somewhere around there. Um, and, And basically with the idea that the CO2 levels are a proxy for, how transmissible the environment is. It doesn't, you know, some people get confused. No, it does not measure the level of COVID in the air. It would be nice if we had something to do that. We don't have anything that can do that. But what it does say is if that level is high and someone sharing that space with you does have COVID, then that means your chances of getting it are also high. If that number is low, that means ventilation is good and sufficient for the number of people in the room and that you wouldn't necessarily if you knew somebody had covid you still wouldn't want to be standing next to them there but it means the ventilation is good enough that your risks are relatively low so i've been thinking about do i want to uh you know give myself ranges where like if the co2 level is a thousand uh, under a thousand i'll go maskless but if it goes between a thousand and fifteen hundred, I will put on my mask no matter what's going on. And if it goes above fifteen hundred, I leave. <laughs> you know, or whatever. Um I, I might do something like that. Uh I don't know. And also there's like, you know, just even between five hundred and a thousand it might be, you know, uh if it's if it's edging up towards a thousand, open a window. You know? Uh and again, this whole thing also like just it's been a long time since we talked about covid on the show um but i will mention it just i get so mad at the missed opportunities and things that we could have learned one is that masks work and not just for covid we almost completely eliminated flu for a year And people had so many fewer colds between between masks and staying home more. And, you know, my my general practitioner, I was talking to her last time I was seeing her and, you know, talking about this kind of stuff. And she at one point said, well, you wouldn't wear a mask to prevent cold and flu, would you? And I'm like, damn right, I would. That's one of the main lessons. Of this whole thing is probably that we should have been wearing masks in a lot more places, a lot more of the time from the beginning. Now, we have also learned not so much the little paper masks or the 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 not well-fitting masks. No, no. You, you, for real protection, that's two-way, not just one way. The little surgical masks protect other people from you. But if you want to protect yourself as well, you need the higher quality at uh, N95 or KN95 or one of those various ones. And I th- we should have taken away from this whole thing. Wear those a hell of a lot more often. I'm not saying necessarily all the time, but like if you're in a crowded place full of strangers, damn right, put on the mask. Why the hell not? It doesn't hurt you. It doesn't hurt them. And it potentially protects the spread of any number of, diseases that come from what people breathe out whether it be droplets or aerosols or whatever and so i i wish we had normalized that the way that the way that asia after earlier bouts of flu uh much more normalized wearing masks especially if you if you got a tiny sniffle if you feel a little bit sick wear a freaking mask and i wish that had come to us as well as just like normal standard don't even think about it if you feel sick wear a mask if you are around sick people wear a mask if you are in a crowded area wear a mask it's like duh, i wish we had learned that and especially it completely baffles me healthcare Places. Like, if the if there's one thing, it's like, why weren't the hospitals always wearing masks? Come on. Of course, you're around sick people. If you're in a doctor's office and you're in the lobby, there are sick people there. Why isn't everybody wearing a mask all the time? And why weren't they for decades before COVID? Uh, Drives me crazy. The second missed opportunity is the ventilation and indoor air quality stuff. It relates to what I was talking about, about the CO2 monitor. We we have determined with fairly strong evidence that like, okay, masks were politicized, vaccines were politicized, all of these other things were politicized. You could massively improve our resilience against COVID and all of these other things simply by improving air quality in inside buildings by increasing air circuli- circulization? increasing air circulation and filtering. duh How about some indoor air quality standards? not just for COVID. But for all of these other things, and and frankly, forget even diseases, before COVID even started, I remember reading articles about how if you measure CO2 in conference rooms at most companies, by the end of the workday, the levels are high enough that they cause cognitive impairment. So if you have that meeting at the end of the day in a conference room that's been used all day long that does not have great circulation, you're not making great decisions. You might be getting a headache because of it. You might be getting punch drunk on it, you know, and, and it's simply because the circulation isn't good enough. Why didn't we take out of this? Hey everybody start improving your circulation and and put in some better fans, higher powered fans, more filters, blah, blah, blah. And I'm not saying everybody necessarily having to do it all at once instantaneously, you know, put some guidelines in place and have new construction have to meet those standards and have old construction have to be retrofitted uh, when they, when they do renovations, or like give them some sort of timetable to ramp up and improve whatever. And, you know, and sometimes these things aren't sometimes, you know, you got buildings that to do it quote unquote properly, you may need a major, um, renovation, but you know, there are these plans online for these things you can build out of, um, uh, AC filters and box fans for like almost no money. Come on drop them in some rooms. And also along those half the time, you can improve things simply by opening a window when the weather allows. Obviously you're not going to do that if you're in the Northern tier states and it's like 30 below outside. But if you've got decent weather, crack the freaking window. It helps significantly. And yeah, I, I, right now in the room that I am Recording this on right now. Yesterday, one of my CO two filters, uh, CO two filters, uh, CO two monitor alarm things, went off. I was I was working in the room. I'd been doing some stuff, and the level went up to a level that it alerted me: beep, beep, beep. That's too high in here. I I cracked the window open a couple inches. Within a few minutes, it was back down to acceptable levels. Done. It was easy. Why this hasn't been one of the major Lessons of this, I will not ever understand. Um, and then just again, like I've like all of the measurement issues I mentioned on just tracking this are, are going to get so much worse. They turned off the like little notification apps and all the states and stuff. Uh, You know, I feel like it, it is still out there. There are still people dying every single week in numbers that before the pandemic would not have seemed acceptable to anybody. Um it's still mutating, and we might get another. Yeah, who knows? It is not inevitable that every strain is gonna be weaker than the one before or any bullshit like that. It could easily we could easily get another bad one. We could easily get another big spike, and it feels like we're just saying. there's no need to do any precautions ever again. It's over. And I know people want it to be that way, but at the same time, I I, I fully admit like to me, a lot of the things that people railed against were actually positives. I'm like, you mean I get to work from home? This is awesome. I want to do this forever. And I am pissed that I'm going to have to go back into the office. And a lot of people feel that, about work from home, but also just more generally like you mean I can get a lot more things delivered to home and not have to go to stores. Awesome. You mean I have, I can see people less often. Awesome. You mean I can stay home more and go out less. Awesome. And I know some people don't feel like that, but like as, as you know, the personality type I am. Um, I was thrilled. It was, I mean, I was not happy about all the people dying, but I was happy about all the other societal changes and, and, you know, would be thrilled for them to continue, but okay, whatever. Um, uh, I, over the next few years, we need to watch carefully. Like there's been this big dip in, in the. In the U.S. specifically, less so in other countries. Other countries had big dips dips in life expectancy but have popped back already. The U.S. has had a dip and has not popped back yet. Um, We'll need to monitor uh, what this has done to life expectancy and how it persists over time and the prevalence of the kinds of symptoms associated with long COVID and the increased chances of, you know, heart disease and stroke and everything else I mentioned before, uh, to measure these long term effects, um, I think it was probably inevitable given human nature. Um, well, I shouldn't say that because some countries did do better than others. Uh, I still think like you know australia and new zealand probably did the best of the western countries uh we have no idea what really happened in china uh but uh you know it's it, it might have been inevitable but i feel like the fact that we decided that you know we're just okay with 2000 deaths a, uh 2000 deaths a day worldwide which is about what it's averaged minus those last couple of weeks with that or last couple of months with data issues. I mentioned it, it's just disappointing. Like I wish we could have done better, but I understand, I guess people just didn't want to make the sacrifices needed to push it any lower than that. Okay. Um, that's the end of the plan I'd written down. So time to wrap up. Uh, you guys know the deal. curmudgeons Uh, You can find our archives going back. Uh, once this one is up, there are 831 episodes up there. Um, you can find, So I don't know why you'd want to watch all those. Watch. Why you'd want to listen to all of those old ones uh, unless you were like doing some sort of academic study on us or something, which if you are, let us know, (laughs) but uh, they're there if you want them and you can, you can go pick a historical event from any time in those years and see how Yvonne and I reacted to it. Um, Yeah. So fun stuff. Um, Yeah. We started in 2007. Is that right? 2007? Middle of 2007? Um, And yeah, so that means like it was still the George W. Bush administration at that time. And yeah, that's a long time ago, right? It It was... to the, yeah, that was just, that was still W. That was still W. Anyway, you can go listen to our archives. A lot has happened in those years. Um, and also there, you can find all the ways to contact us. Uh, we got Mastodon on there. We got our email. We got our Facebook. Um, it. We would love to hear from you in any of those ways. If you are a listener and you want to be included on that list of people that I email when Yvonne can't do a show as potential co-hosts, um, contact us in one of those ways and let us know. Uh, uh, you know, if, if I don't know you at all, we might want to talk a little bit before I add you to the list. So I know, you know, where you're coming from and stuff, but, uh, but, you know, yeah, we can add you. Um, and we'd love all the comments, pros, cons, like suggestions, suggestions, criticism, whatever. Uh, We would love to hear from you and we'll probably read your comments on the air if you send it. It's been a while. You know, most of the people who used to comment a lot are now on our curmudgeon's Corner slack. And so just say their piece there rather than commenting elsewhere, which brings me to the curmudgeon's Corner slack. Uh, I should mention the Patreon first. I always screw that up. Uh, you'll also find a link on the website for our Patreon, uh, which is where you can donate money at various levels. We will mention you on the show. We will ring a bell. We will send you a postcard. We will send you a mug, et cetera. Um, and at $2 a month or more, or if you just contact us and ask us nicely, we will invite you to our curmudgeons Corner Slack where Yv- Yvonne and I and other folks are chatting throughout the week, sharing links, all that kind of stuff. Uh, you know, current events, tech news stories, stuff going on in our lives uh we we have a sub channel where people are still sharing wordle scores and stuff like that um join us and the more the merrier it's lots of fun please join us and uh you know if yvonne was here i'd ask him to pick something from the curmudgeon's corner slack to highlight and we would talk about that for a few minutes um but you know I, I, i guess i could do that like um I, the very last thing posted on the curmudgeons corner slack, um, just, uh, earlier as I was recording this, um, let's see, which of these was last? I'll I'll make sure. Okay. The last one, uh, was me passing along an article from the wall street journal about rumors about Apple's, uh, headset, mixed reality headset, which is rumored to be being announced uh, later this month. Um, and basically the rumors say it's going to be super expensive, like thousands of dollars. And Apple themselves isn't even happy with wh- where it is they th- they consider it still experimental. Uh, it has like a separate battery pack. It's not all self-contained. It's got a few issues that they call out and basically like say that Uh, in the article, which is Apple is breaking its own rules with a new headset, um, that normally Apple has a reputation for not releasing half-baked products. They really want to make sure that their very first release is already a really good product or they just don't release it yet. They delay it. They keep baking it. They keep working on it or they cancel it internally and it never sees the light of day um and that this would be an exception where they're basically putting something out there that doesn't meet that normal level. Now, this article, these rumors may be completely wrong. If they're right though, it feels like Apple's making a mistake. Like this whole virtual reality, mixed reality stuff <laughs> like even Meta there were reports this week that they're they're on the verge of giving up, right? Because it's just not working out. Uh, and these technologies may eventually mature and they may eventually get to the point where everybody is happy and thrilled with them and uses them every day, all the time. At the moment, it still remains sort of a, a niche thing for gaming um, that, like, I, I, you know, I have an Oculus, I've used it occasionally, I use it very rarely, but like, you know, it was cool. But it doesn't become a part of my life that I can't do without, and I use multiple times a day every day. And the sort of use cases that you know people were talking about with Meta in terms of doing meetings and such, it's just not actually better than just a regular... Conference call or video conference call. So we'll, we'll see what Apple does. Maybe they will surprise everybody and absolutely blow everybody away with how great this is. Anyway, there you go. There's something that was on the Curmudgeon's Corner Slack. Uh, there are a bunch of other stuff, too. You guys should contact us and join. Um, but that's it. I'm wrapping up. Hopefully Yvonne will be back next week. He'll be home again and not, I didn't even ask him where he was that had this bad internet connection, but he was off somewhere with a super bad internet connection and said it was bad enough. He couldn't see doing the show. So, and, and again, I sent out the email and I got those two responses, but nobody saying, yes, I'll do it. And, you know, there was even one person, our listener, Bruce, last time around, said, oh man, you went into my spam folder. I will do it next time. And I've added you to my whitelist. So you won't go into my spam folder again. He didn't answer either. So maybe I'm back in spam. You know, and it probably actually is spam. Like I'm BCCing a bunch of people and I'm basically making a solicitation. So that sounds like spam. So throwing it in your spam folder. Okay, legit. It kind of is spam. So I don't know. Oh, well, (laughs) maybe I'll start not excluding the people who were the co-hosts in the last couple shows uh, just to get more people again. I mean, it's already a lot of people. I'm just excluding like a handful, but uh, oh, well, but that includes a handful of people who have done it multiple times. So, oh, well, anyway, hey, everybody have a great week uh, and have fun and not too much fun. You guys know what I usually say. I'm rambling now. Goodbye. that last segment was almost an hour by, by itself. And I, 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 of course I thought it would be short, but no, no, it wasn't. It was the longest of the three segments, (sighs) you know, whatever. (laughs) Bye everyone.